This podcast is brought to you by Life Mastery Course. Get 90% off enrollment today at livewellacademy.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters Podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. My name is Ryan Levesque, and I am your host for today's show. Today's show is the first in a two-part series in which we will be meeting all six of the newest accredited speakers in the Toastmasters world. I'll be bringing you three conversations today with accredited speakers, and Greg Gazin will be following up on a future episode with three more. On tap for today, we have Paul Artale, Thomas Island, and Simadal all accredited speakers. Let's get right to it. Our guest is work-life and motivational expert, accredited speaker, Paul Artale. Paul, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Hey, Ryan. Good to be here. Paul, you know, every speaker is different different topics, different message, different style, different audience. To get us started here, I'd really like to hear a bit about your niche as a professional speaker. What are the topics that you speak about to audiences? I speak on three topics. The first and foremost is uh, motivational speaking. I use my life of having a physical disability and some of the journeys I've gone on, uh, such as playing college football and dropping everything and becoming a college football coach for years. And lately my, my PhD journey, I use those motivational stories to inspire others to break through their challenge and achieve peak performance. The second area I speak on is work-life balance. That's directly comes out of my PhD research. And when I was researching it, I just thought I was being a, a good academic and studying a, a construct. And it turns out a lot of people are burnt out. So that's become a, a topic for me. And the third topic is disability inclusion in the workplace. I talk to organizations about how to build cultures that are disability friendly and flexible and just help build a culture and climate of not just inclusion, but of high performance. Were you speaking professionally before you joined Toastmasters? I was definitely being paid to speak before I joined Toastmasters, but it wasn't on a consistent basis. It wasn't on a, I can say now, a a serious basis. And it wasn't until I moved from Kansas to Michigan to begin my PhD studies that I had really talked a lot about doing it more. And my wife challenged me to basically do it or be quiet, but you can't do both. (laughs) You can't complain about uh, not getting gigs and talk about wanting to be a motivational speaker and not do anything about it. And so she was the first one to challenge me. And out of that, I decided to look up uh, Toastmaster clubs. And it just so happened that a Toastmaster club met in the building where I had most of my classes, where the College of Education was. And it fit my schedule perfectly. And that was my first foray into Toastmasters. I had heard of them before. uh, And I joined with the idea of I'm going to work off the rust. I'm going to play with some ideas in here and use it as a place to get a lot of stage time. And what came out of that was was a lot more. Uh, I made really good relationships and it helped accelerate my speaking in a lot of ways because I went from working five minute speeches in clubs to working 40 minute, 60 minute breakout sessions and versions of keynotes at TLIs and district conferences. Let's shift a little bit to Colorado this past summer and talk about the presentation that you gave there. I know it was your uh, excerpt, at least, or a version of your signature talk, Hit Hard, Three Must-Have Mindsets to Redesign Your Life. 
and I, I know we can't go into all of the content of it, but I wondered if maybe you could share with our listeners a little bit about one of the concepts that I found most powerful. And that was about the mental dictionary and the mm-hmm. identity shift. And I know those things kind of tie together. Could you break into that a little bit for our audience? Absolutely. The mental dictionary has to do with the words we put into our head and that we choose to accept about ourselves, right? And so it's how, what, how do we see ourselves as? What words do we resonate with? And th- that, that can be a good thing, but in many instances, those words are what actually keep us down, right? We think that we're less than, or, you know, the example I used in my talk was, you know, d- disabled disability, specifically with my football journey, being a, a disabled college football player. And that, that's how I sort of saw myself for probably the first half of, of the season. And it wasn't until my head coach said, Hey, you're a pretty good athlete that I had this concept of, I've never been called that before. And all of a sudden I was like, I guess I, I thought about it. I was like, I, I am an athlete, right? I'm playing college football. I'm hanging in with a, with the college team. I'm more than just this happy to be here guy. And it started to change my mindset. And I think in our lives, that's what we have to be cognizant of that the words we use to describe ourselves and identify ourselves with can often be negative. And so we need to delete those words from the mental dictionary and insert the ones that are empowering, that are more truthful to who we are and what we're going to become. And I thought that's so important because when you can do that, you start to have an identity shift, right? I, I shifted from being a disabled football player to being an athlete. And that really changed how I saw things and to draw from my recent PhD experience, it it happened again. There's a a moment when you start to see yourself as the expert. And I I adopted that one a lot quicker. I was more confident in it, but that idea that I, I know more about this topic than most people. And I can call myself an expert, right. Versus just being a, a grad student. Right. And so it's very powerful how we refer to ourselves and how we see ourselves and what we allow people to what we accept from people when they call us certain things or refer to us in certain ways, we have the choice in our minds to accept that or reject that. And that can make a huge difference, not just in how we see ourselves, but how we choose to react to situations. Mm, I love that. I also noticed when you were introduced, the person who introduced you said that you were born with what some people would call a disability. And that really stood out to me. And now hearing you talk about the mental dictionary, I'm kind of seeing a connection the thought behind it is, you know, disability is more a state of mind than it is a diagnosis, right? And so a lot of what we call disability is a social construct. It's ways that we're taught to believe, right? And the most basic one is that, you know, individuals with disabilities are are less than or they, they have limitations on what they can do. To give you a really good example of, of this is, you know, if I were to ask you right now to, to picture a science professor. Mm-hmm. Right. You got one in your head. Right. You know, yep. what would what would he look like? Right. Or she looked like first. I, I just made an assumption that it was a man. Right. It could be a woman. Right. But, <laughs> of course. Right. And if I were to ask you, well, go ahead. Right. Describe what does a professor look like in your head? I'm picturing this professor that I had my freshman year of college and he's a tall uh, white man, gray hair. Mm-hmm. Um, his hair was kind of uh, wily, not quite like like Albert Einstein. Mm-hmm. Um, thin. But yeah, that's that's what I got. Dr. Toby Dills. Sure. There you go. Right. So, so a lot of people would think of Dr. Toby or someone else, but how many, how many people would picture someone that looked like Stephen Hawking? Mm, yeah, probably not too many. And yet he's regarded as having one of the most brilliant minds of all time. Right. 
Right. And so when we talk about disability, yes, there's a medical part to it that there are differences based on diagnoses. Like I have less fingers than 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 most out there. And and people have different conditions, both visible and invisible. And that's not to deny that piece. But it's largely, you know, to say that I'm not disabled is that to me, disability is something when when you keep yourself back or you let other things and forces hold you back from being successful, from achieving what you want and when those forces exist to keep you from doing what you need to do and to be your greatest then that to me that that's the construct of disability more than what someone was born with and diagnosed with mm. powerful stuff man for sure thank you paul as you reflect back on your accredited speaker journey could you share a, a favorite moment or favorite memory whether it be in colorado or at any point along the road i'd say probably the one that takes the cake for me was at the end, near the end of my speech when I made reference to having a child and everyone, you know, clapped for me. And I made the joke that, well, I didn't do the hard work, which is true. My wife did all the hard work in terms of having a child. And, and my wife was in Michigan. She wasn't in Colorado with me. So when I was able to look at her on camera for a really quick second and say hello to her, I thought that that was special to me because she's been with me on this journey since day one. And although unfortunately she couldn't be there that day, being able to address her on camera and that was totally, that was an improvisational moment. It wasn't planned. I thought that was like, we're in this together and she was watching live and I knew it. And that was incredible. Oh, that's awesome. That's so great. So great. Paul, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Where can our listeners go to stay in touch with you or learn more about what you do or maybe even book you to speak? Book me to speak would be great. Uh, you can go to uh, www.paulartale, P-A-U-L-A-R-T-A-L-E dot com. That's the website. That's where you can see clips of me speaking a little bit more on some of my programs. And of course, I invite people to connect with me on social media. So if you, you know, Paul Artali, if you, you put me into LinkedIn, you'll find me. Uh, that, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and also on Instagram at Paul underscore Artale. And on Twitter, don't use Twitter very much, so at, at Paul Artale. And, and I just got a TikTok account, so if those TikTokers out there, um, you know, Paul Artale also. So I, I'm kind of all, I'm all over the place. Just uh, connect with me whatever in whatever mode you think is best. And um, I would love to hear from people and have conversations out there around uh, motivation, mindset, and how I can best serve them. Paul Artale, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Joining us from Santa Clarita, California, is distinguished Toastmaster and accredited speaker, Thomas Island. Tom, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for having me, Ryan. To get us started, if I could take a time machine back to when you were 13 years old and visit your school... Do you think I would pick you out of the crowd as a future accredited speaker? Probably not. I tended to be the very quiet kid, and I was the person who was really smart uh, grades-wise and intellectually, but I would not socialize with my peers. If anything, I was bullied a lot when I was a kid because I was so smart but socially clueless, so you probably couldn't pick me out as the guy who would go on to become an accredited speaker if you met me at 13. That's 23 years ago. But of course you did. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then uh, I know at 13 years old, your mother revealed to you a, a piece of the puzzle that explained uh, maybe some of the struggles that you had growing up. Can you share that story with us? I had a brother and a sister, both younger than me, and they were getting calls from friends looking to hang out. One day I asked my mother, why doesn't the phone ever ring for me? And she kind of froze for a moment because she knew something about me that she hadn't told me. And she could have said to me, 
I don't have any friends. But instead, she explained to me, I'm still learning how to make friends and proceeded to sit me down with my dad and tell me about my diagnosis of autism. And she led off with the idea that I have a, a pattern of differences in my life. And she asked me if I want to know what that pattern is called. And I said, no, I don't want to know what that pattern is called. I thought that my brain was broken if I was different. I thought it, life would be terrible if I wasn't like everybody else. Just the thought of something being wrong with me was devastating. Hmm. Wow. For those who aren't as familiar, can you describe a little bit about what are some of the symptoms of autism? Certainly. So autism is a developmental disorder that primarily affects one's ability to socialize and have conversations and keep them going. So when I was young, I liked Star Wars when I was growing up, and I still do, but not as much as I was when I was a kid. So I would talk about Star Wars all day whenever I was with someone, but that wasn't really something that they want to talk about. So I wouldn't pick up on their cues of disinterest or wanting to talk about something else. I also was not picking up on body language. This is very common in people with autism when they aren't able to read the room, as they say, or look somebody in the eye for a prolonged period of time or pick up on people's facial expressions and posture and proximity or tone of voice. So whenever someone says, I'm having a great day, sarcastically, the person with autism will be like, okay, that person's having a great day. Nice. <laughs> Isn't sensing something might be off. So the, the social and communication aspects, a lot of what we take for granted in our conversations that's not really uh, coming naturally to people with autism, not that they can't learn. And I had to go to a special school to learn about body language and nonverbal communication. But, but those are the main aspects of life that autism affects. It's not that people with autism cannot read body language or pick up on the social cues. It's just that they don't do it naturally and need some specialized instruction because it doesn't come naturally as, as it does to people hmm. who don't have autism. Is that, is that a fair description? It is. And a lot of times people would pick up on uh, social cues or social norms as they interact with their peers. But because people with autism may be coming off as weird or unusual, they get rejected, they get ostracized and stop having conversations or don't get what they need in order to succeed socially. But once they get that direct explicit instruction, then that improves the outcomes. But yes, no matter where you may fall on the autism spectrum, even if you aren't able to speak, you can still learn how to follow instructions. A lot of times people with autism have difficulty uh, embracing change or new ideas or see, uh, thinking outside the box, so to speak. And that's what, right. what can make learning difficult, but not impossible. Right. Fascinating. When you speak professionally, what is it that you speak and train about? Storytelling, specifically telling my stories of incidents and situations where I had difficulty but had support and believed in myself enough to overcome those obstacles that have really made me an impactful and effective speaker inside and outside the autism community. So I've given keynotes at autism conferences. I've spoken at the United Nations twice in the last year, becoming wow. a little bit of an advocate, if you will, for the autism community because people with autism are growing up not knowing themselves, not loving themselves, and not being themselves. And as a result, they don't form relationships. They don't move out of mom and dad's house. They don't pursue 
other educational aspects of their life and they're not getting jobs or contributing to society in the best way. People with autism, even if they don't speak, even if they appear socially awkward at first, they have so much to offer. And when we really take the time to tap into the potential and the possibilities of what people with autism can bring to the table, that's what's going to make the world a better place. Hmm. Right. Wow. And you mentioned jobs a moment ago. I know you are a CPA and we're working as an accountant and uh, your status has changed. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'd love to have you share about what happened there. Well, I am an actively licensed certified public accountant in California. I got my license in October of 2010 and I did accounting jobs for about seven years after I graduated from California State University, Northridge, and including uh, working for Disney, doing property taxes. And I wanted to be George Lucas's accountant from a young age and (laughs) working for Disney and having Disney acquire Lucasfilm after I left the company makes me feel like, wow, in a way, I was George Lucas's accountant. I worked for (laughs) his boss as an intern once upon a time. So that's how I see my my goal being met. But uh, all those uh, accounting jobs I had from being an intern to doing temp jobs to finally getting a a permanent job with benefits, it nearly cost me my mental health and sanity because I hated going to a desk, crunching numbers all day that weren't going to matter in a few years. I really wanted to help people on a personal level. And I felt like I belonged elsewhere, like on a stage, telling my story, talking with the people that make decisions and can make people with autism's lives even better. So I put in my two weeks at my last accounting job at an avocado company outside of Ventura, California, just over four years ago. And now I've developed myself professionally as a speaker. And I just recently got certification as what's called a human potential coach. So I can sit down with you, ask you some questions and help you see that you have the answers and the power and now I'm starting to also go back to corporate life as a consultant, uh, approaching diversity and inclusion teams, human resources departments, to, again, talk to them about what people with autism can offer and how can we make that happen in organizations. When you were in Colorado on the stage, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? The way I saw it when I got up there and after I was introduced, I took my stance at the center of the stage and took a look around, took a deep breath and just let it happen. Started telling my story. And I knew in the back of my mind that those were my peeps because I was at a Toastmasters conference. They wanted me to succeed. And I knew I could just be myself and let people know how I really felt and what had to be said about people with autism and beyond so I wasn't. I ended up not being as nervous as I thought I would be when I finally had to give that speech. And I had rehearsed it several times with two of my accredited speaker mentors. I have Terry Mayfield and Maurice Domino out near me, and I consulted with both of them as I went through the process. And uh, Ellie Kay, another accredited speaker, she was yeah. there the morning I was giving my speech. And she gave me some really encouraging words right before I went up and talked. So there are people out there that had my back. And that was also in the back of my head as I went through that speech. And before I knew it, it was over and everyone was standing clapping. 
of course, you did get the accredited speaker designation, well-deserved, and your presentation, Tom, was powerful, powerful. As we wrap up here, Tom, where can people go to connect with you and learn more about your speaking business and what else you're up to? Yes, I'm on all the major social media platforms under the name Thomas Island. That's spelled I-L-A-N-D, like Rhode Island without the S. And you can also find me at Thomas Island. I have a TEDx talk on there titled How to Come to Life, and you can see other videos of me speaking. Thomas Island, accredited speaker. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ryan. And now joining us from Chicago is accredited speaker Sima Dahl. Sima, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I watched your accredited speaker presentation. I watched your highlights reel on your website. And you just seem like when you're on that stage, you are doing what you were born to do. Your energy is just infectious. So I want to know to start off, how much do you love your job as a professional speaker? (laughs) You know, it's funny. I have always been wired that way. I have always had, you know, extraordinary energy for anything that I'm passionate about. And it wasn't often uh, the appropriate amount of energy, say, in my corporate work. (laughs) Uh, So it was very freeing when I discovered the platform that I could be freely me and be that gal who is sort of bursting at the seams. I really do love it. Can you share with us a bit about the topics that you typically speak and present on? I spent my early career as a corporate marketer and mostly in the high-tech space. My background is... B2B or what we call business to business marketing, especially in high tech. So we're talking about slow, complex sales processes and branding and messaging. And that's my forte. That's my expertise. And now I use all of that to help people market themselves. So my practice started with something called social networking way back before personal branding was even a phrase, before social selling was even a verb And now I do all of that, and I do it with offline and online best practices. So, for example, next month I'll be teaching an insurance sales force how to practice personal branding and social selling online. And then two weeks after that, I'll be speaking to a group of women in an enterprise company about managing their personal brand offline inside the organization And the reason for that is it's a retention strategy for the corporation. So that's my happy place. It sort of falls under the leadership umbrella, but it's very specific to personal brand. Well, let's back up uh, even further. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your educational background and the start of your career and and how you found yourself on stages speaking and, and even where Toastmasters came in? Sure. It's it's not a, a linear path by any means. <laughs> I was a classically trained marketer. I went to the University of Illinois where I was an Edmund James scholar and an Illini and, you know, worked my way uh, through a progression of, you know, more demanding marketing jobs. And I went to grad school at night at DePaul University I graduated with my MBA in management with honors and continued working, marketing job, marketing job, I had blinders on. I really never paused to look left or look right at what else I might be good at or what 
else might be interesting to me. Laser focus on that chief marketing officer corner office. And I got into high tech in the mid 90s and I became adept and skilled at kind of hustling for the next full-time employment opportunity. I was, you know, marketing myself. And in 2008, 2009, one of the largest independent software companies gobbled up the one I was working for. And once again, I found myself as redundant headcount. That's a phrase I never need to hear again. <laughs> but as it turns out, I'd been freelancing on the down low and I had some clients. And a few people just came sniffing around and asked me if I'd like to speak to their groups. And I found, you know, a passion for the platform. I found that I easily connected with people and had a message they wanted to hear. And that was really exciting because the consulting work I was doing didn't really feed my soul. And so over time, I began to pivot towards a full-time speaking and training career. That's when I joined the National Speakers Association of Illinois. And it was through the NSA that I caught wind of Toastmasters. I'd heard about it in my youth, but I literally thought, like so many other uneducated fools, that you'd meet in a bar and learn how to give toasts. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I was a founding member of my Toastmasters club here in the Chicago area, and I quickly fell in love. I made lifelong friends. I practiced my craft. I got real-world feedback because in the end, I'm speaking to real-world people. It was backwards that I fell into a speaking business and found a, a passion that I think will sustain me for a very long time to come. In the presentation that you gave in Colorado, one of the pieces of advice that you gave to the audience is when you're introducing yourself to not lead with your job title. So why is it that you suggest avoiding that? And what do you suggest we do instead? I feel strongly about this. So my name today is Sima Dahl. And I thank my first husband for that short, nice last name. Uh, but my maiden name was Sima Zleiser. Last name started with a Z, second letter L, and it went downhill from there. <laughs> and, you know, I lived in this, this small town in northwest suburb of Chicago where Sima was the strangest uh, word in the dictionary. Nobody knew who or what I was or how to address me. And so I learned early on in my youth to introduce myself with first name only and to say it slowly, and give people a chance to hear a word for the first time. And as I grew older and became more skilled at networking, I realized that that was truly a best practice. So to say to anyone, my name is Simadol, I'm the president, CEO, and founder of Sway Factory, Inc., da 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 I mean, what do you remember from what I just said? Very little, and your brain doesn't know what to store in memory, and it can't possibly <laughs> store it all. And so seldom is our job title indicative of our work. I mean, you yourself, your title is president. My title's president. And mm -hmm. we also know somebody in the White House with the same title. <laughs> right. So it's, it's meaningless. So to say my name is Sima, and I help people create demand for who they are and what they do, really speaks to the individual listener in a way that helps them open their ears, their mind, and their heart to wanting to learn more. So I'm, I'm on a mission to break the mold. <laughs> right. So I, I've been pondering a question this morning and, and really looking forward to asking you this, Sima. Many of us wear lots of different hats. Even within our profession, we might have different roles. We might have a, a side hustle or two or three or four. <laughs> we might have a 
community uh, volunteering work that we're involved with. So when you're meeting someone out of the blue and you're not really sure which of those hats may have a connection to the person that you're meeting or introducing yourself to, how do you know where to go or, or what to start? I love that question, Ryan. Thank you. The truth is you don't know where to go or how to start. So how about give yourself permission to start wherever your joy comes from. And then as the conversation pivots, then you can bring more about you to the surface. So I might say that I help people create demand for who they are and what they do. And eventually we get to the part where I'm keynote speaking, doing corporate training. And somebody might mention, oh, you know, my kid just graduated college and really having a hard time finding work. And I might mention that I do some one-on-one career coaching and executive training Uh, to give you my entire capability set or even Mm -hmm. all my talks, you would need, you know, we'd need an hour. And again, you can't remember all that. So I like to pick something a little bit broad where under the umbrella, you have lots of different avenues. So for me, helping people create demand for what they do. That platform gives me room to say, I speak, I write, I train, I coach. And then under the leadership platform, still I can talk about personal branding. A lot of that is is how we communicate and how we come across. And mm-hmm. I do train executives and present on communicating with confidence. So I can leave you at the tip of the iceberg and then peel back Let's use the onion reference. Peel back the layers of the onion as the conversation (laughs) proceeds. But to try and get it right out of the gate, I find people sound awkward and they sound forced and rehearsed. And there's nothing inviting that says, I really want to talk more to this person because they sound really excited to be who they are. I like a natural, easy approach. And trust that if you're meant to help one another, that 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 will unfold. I love that. Starting in the place that brings you... The most joy. Yeah. That's really great. Sima, this has been fantastic. I wish we had more time. Where can our listeners go to connect with Sima Dahl? I'm super proud of the new website I launched at simadahl.com. And I have a brand new opt-in where if you just give me your email address, you'll get five days of content, five tips to forge and strengthen your personal brand. The second best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. I'd love to be in your network, and I hope I can add value to each and every one of you. Simadol, accredited speaker, thank you so much and wish you all the best. Brian, thank you and same to you. If your life is perfect, stop the podcast now. Still with me? Great. I've put together an intensive online course on life mastery at livewellacademy.com. Based on decades of research and experience, I invite you to participate at 90% off the release date rate while I complete all the lessons with the expected completion by the end of 2019. At livewellacademy.com, you will learn how to really connect with others, the tricks of having a strong relationship, what you need to know about your health and staying fit, how to increase your overall well-being, how to be a better person, how to be a responsible member of society through improving your critical thinking skills, how to be more creative, how to sell, how to handle money and make more of it, 
Learn about all the major religions of the world. Learn about getting a job and creating one. Learn about success and how to achieve it, and more. This course is a result of the continued research that suggests that adults in the United States today are woefully unprepared for today's social and professional environment. People struggle with effective communication, relationships, weight and health issues, depression, life purpose, achievement, discerning fact from fiction, selling ideas to others, earning enough to live comfortably, finding jobs, and overall peace of mind. These are problems that get in the way of living a happy and fulfilling life when one's energy is spent on just trying to get by. This course addresses each of those problems and many more with the goal of helping you avoid those problems while focusing on what energizes you most. By the end of the course, you will be on the right track to designing the life you want to live and living it well. Register today at livewellacademy.com while the 90% discount lasts.